Well, good morning, church. How are y'all doing this morning? And I'm going to go ahead and just address the elephant in the room. I think Maddie got a nice haircut. What do y'all think? I think she got a great haircut. Uh, But really, though, uh, if you didn't know, this past week was our high school camp. And I set the goal for our high schoolers that if they could raise... Uh, $3,750 for uh, missions that they could buzz my head. And they raised $3,800 in one week. So that, isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? Well, why don't you all stand up on your feet as we worship together? My weapon 
this morning online we welcome you as well some Sundays it's really really difficult other Sundays it's really really easy some Sundays Doc has his farm where he pulls wisdom and insight for communion Bobby has his biblical context understanding I mean every time he gets up here and speaks I'm, I'm taking bits and pieces of information that I had no idea about and then some Sundays you get a text from Ethan can you do uh, July 4th communion and it is a softball <laughs> tossed to you. If there's ever a Sunday for communion to finally maybe 
click to make sense. The day we celebrate our independence, our freedom, the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There it is. Nothing else needs to be said. If you want to experience the freedom, the independence, the greatness and all that comes with that, knowing the one who truly offers it is the greatest reward. So in these next few moments, as we take the emblems, the, the crackers underneath the juice, as we pray and reflect on it, I think we, as Americans, selfishly, unfortunately, we take our freedom way too much for granted. Even as Christians, I think we often forget, man, what was, what was sacrificed, what was offered so we can walk in here and have the freedoms to walk in here with no fear whatsoever. To have a, a cracker and a juice that sometimes it can become repetitive over and over. It becomes part of the service and we lose focus on the sacrifice that was given so we can enjoy freedom and our independence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your son, the ultimate sacrifice was given on the cross, was broken and beaten and thrown in a tomb. But three days later, he overcame that. He said, I'm much more than just a dead body. I'm much more than chains can hold. So may we reflect this, God. May we understand the independence and the freedom we receive through your son and his sacrifice in these next few minutes. It's in his son we pray. In his name we pray. Amen.
seated. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? We awake? Hey, let me ask you guys a question. Would you consider it easier, probably more than likely, I think you'll agree with this, would you consider it easier to look at someone else and point out the flaws, the sin, the issues that they have, than it is to look at ourselves in the mirror and realize that there are some things that we probably need to deal with. This week, um, I'm going to show you a list here in a second. Uh, I googled some some character flaws, and I want to show you these here in a second and see if you can relate to these. But before I show you this list, I want you to uh, remember, think about, maybe you've heard this before, uh, a saying, a passage of scripture, a thought that Jesus threw out there in Matthew chapter 7. He said this, he said, why do you look at the speck? Right, you remember this? The speck in your, your friend's eye. Right? When you have this log sticking out of your eye. When, 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 why do we look at other people and go, hey, you've got this thing that you need to deal with. I think I see it there in your eye. All along, this two by four is sticking out of your head. Right? And then Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. Take care of your issues. Take care of the log that's in your eye. And then you will be able to see to help your friend with the speck 
in their eye, you would probably agree with me that it's a lot easier for us to look at other people and look at other situations and look at other sin and go, hey, that's an issue. You need to deal with that. And then if we were to stop and to really think about it and contemplate it and maybe pray about it, we would realize that there are some of those same issues that we're dealing with in our own lives. And Jesus said, we are hypocrite. We need to deal with those first. I want you to look at this list of common character flaws with people. I just Googled this and said, hey, what's a list? What's, what are some common, common character flaws? And here's what I came up with. See if you guys can relate to any of The first one was this, arrogance or argumentative nature. So don't point, like if I get to one that like resonates with someone that you may be sitting close to, don't point to them today, okay? But here's one of them, someone who's just arrogant or argumentative. You ever been around someone who's just like, they just love to argue? They just love to fight? What about this one? Just dishonesty, uh, a common character flaw that, that it just seems like the truth is nowhere to be found in them. Here's another one, a short-tempered person or a combative person. You ever been around someone who easily flies off the handle and you're like, hey, what is wrong with that guy? Or what's her deal, right? Short, a short-tempered personality. What about this one? The need to always be right. Ever been around someone like that? Ever had a conversation with someone like that? Ever been in a relationship with someone like that? They just always like, it's like they always have to be right about everything. No matter what it is, they're going to be right. What about this one? Perfectionist or a nitpicker, right? Everything is, has to be perfect. House has to be perfect. The kids have to be perfect. Life has to be perfect. The job has to be perfect. Everything has to be perfect and perfectionist. Here's another one. Playing the victim game or the blame game. Right, another common character flaw that people have is like, have you ever been around someone who like, it just seems like they've always like whatever happens, like they're the victim and they've got this story about how that they are the victim in the situation or this one, a self-centered person, a narcissist, everything kind of revolves around them. Here's another one, stubborn or inflexibility. Someone who's just stubborn and you're like, man, why are they so hard headed? Right. You know, I just can't, can't really get through to them. Another character flaw. The last couple vanity and pride. And then the last one was the inability to laugh at yourself. So I was thinking this week about our character that we've been studying for the last uh, six weeks. We're in week seven of this series, looking at King David. And what you'll see today is that some of David's character flaws start to come out in the story we're going to read this morning. Up until this point, what we've seen is like a heroic David, a David who like you could put on this pedestal. And if you're not careful, you could say, Hey, David was all these great things. And we forget sometimes we don't realize that it's no, it's God doing those things through David. That's the point of the whole story. But today what we're going to see is that David had some real issues. He had some things that, that he was dealing with, and they're going to bubble up. They're going to kind of come forward today in this uh, story that we're going to read this morning. So if you got your Bibles, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to see that David's life, this episode that we're going to read about today, is not a pretty one. Some of those character flaws that, that he had that will come out that, that you'll see kind of bubble up are dishonesty and arrogance and a self-centeredness and a pridefulness. We could look at this man and go, what in the world was he doing? And shake our heads in disappointment. Or we could look at him and realize that David was a good man. He was a great leader. But in this season in his life, he makes some poor decisions, some really bad decisions. In fact, he makes a series of decisions that will ultimately lead to death. A high price was paid. Early on in David's life, he was anointed the king of Israel. You guys will remember our first few weeks when we talked about that. It was in his 30s when he actually became the king of Israel. And so 2 Samuel chapters 1 through about 10 are the highlights, some of the highlights of David's life. Like things are going really well for David in the early days, in the early years. He is on top of the world. Things couldn't be any better for him. His life and his reign were marked with this passion for God, his heart being with this rhythm that was God's heartbeat. And this was a guy that God knew that he could count on. He knew, God knew that when he looked at David, 
He's someone that he could really count on. Many of the Psalms that are recorded in the Old Testament were authored by David. I want you to listen to just a few of the ones that he wrote. Here's, here's a, a snippet from a couple, from actually three, three different ones. In Psalm 8, it says this. Oh, uh, David wrote this. O Lord, our, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then in Psalm 100, he wrote this. Shout with joy to the Lord. Of, of all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with songs of joy. And then in Psalm 103, it says, with my whole heart, I will praise his name. You, you can see this, those few verses there in, in those Psalms that David is this person in, in, a, in an early season of his life. He is walking with the Lord and he loves the Lord. And he recognizes what God has done. He's like, shout to the Lord, sing praises to the Lord, worship the Lord. His name is holy. He's praying for wisdom. He's praying for strength. He's praying for his, his household would remain faithful to the Lord. He had it all going on. He was one of the greatest kings, a part of one of the greatest nations on the earth at that time. He, he was the most famous person in the nation and one of the most famous people in the world. This blessed people. He was handsome and popular and had wealth beyond imagination. He had all these things going for him. He was faithful to the Lord and loved by his people. 2 Samuel 8, 15 sums up David's early years this way. It says, So David reigned over all of Israel and did what was just and right for all his people. No one would deny that he was a great man of God. But along the way, along the way, something happens. Something happens in David's life. Something happens in his heart and in his mind. And something starts to kind of just derail inside of him. And we're going to see that this morning in this story. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says this, In the springtime, when kings normally... And, and here's... Go ahead and underline, circle, highlight that word because it's really important in this story. When kings normally go to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and they laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. In these, in this first couple of verses here, we, we already start to see David making some poor decisions. Not necessarily sinful decisions yet, but they would lead down that path. The first thing we notice is that David is, is normally not where he's supposed to be. He's back in the palace while his army is out on the field. Up until this point, David had been with his men. And for whatever reason, in this part of the story, he decides to stay home. Now, we don't really know why he decided to do that. Maybe he was tired. He, maybe he was weary of war. Maybe he just needed rest. Maybe he was just, I, you know what, I just need some time away. And so he's taking a break for whatever reason. But normally, where he normally would have been, where he, you could argue, should have been, was with his men on the battlefield. But he's not. He stayed behind in Jerusalem. Look at the next verse. It says, later, uh, late one afternoon, after his midday rest. So you have this picture of a guy who's just kind of laying around the palace, taking naps, kind of just enjoying like palace life. Now, now, we don't know, like I said, if he's, if he's just like, I got to get away from that and unplug. If he's just lost his, his zeal to lead, we, we have no idea. But this is where we find David in this season of his life. David got out of bed, it says, and he was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked over, out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And so here's a moment, Right? Have you ever had that moment in your life where, where you're, you're there, you're standing there, you're in the situation, and, and you can make a couple of different choices? You can like, I can go this way and avoid this mess and flee from this sin and just walk away. Or I can go down this path because this path, it seems like a fun path, and I think I want to kind of check out this path. And I know it's probably going to get me in trouble, 
but it seems like fun. So let's go down that path, all right? Have you ever been in that place in your life where you're like, all right, I know what I should do. I know what the wise choice in this situation would be. I know what I need to do. I need to turn around. I need to go, oh, there's a woman. She's taking a bath. That's not my wife. I need to turn around and walk the other way and forget this whole episode. That's what David could have done. But let's look at what he did do. Verse 3. It says he sent someone to find out who she was. She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. The response is brought back to him. Now again, David's response, once he realizes this is someone's daughter, this is someone's wife, he has a choice. He has a choice in that moment to not take this any farther, to stop and go, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have lingered. I shouldn't have looked. Yeah, there was an open window. She was over here. Like I, I, like I saw that, and I, I shouldn't have done that. I should have walked the other way. And he should have in his mind when he heard that this is a lady who is the daughter of someone you know. She is the wife of someone that you've entrusted your army to, Uriah. She is another person's daughter and wife. That should have been a moment in his, in his life where David said, you know what? This is not something I want to pursue. For us, men, I, I was thinking about our hearts this week. When we look, when we have looked, when we glance, when we stare, when we kind of linger with a look at a woman that's not our wife, the, the first thought should be, that's someone else's daughter. That's someone else's wife. That is someone that the Lord has created. And yes, she's beautiful, but I have no rights to think the thoughts that I'm thinking right now. And it doesn't just apply to us men. Women, we could apply the same thing to you, right? He's someone's son. That's someone's husband. It's not my husband. It's not my wife. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to walk the other way because I know this could lead down a really bad path. That's what David could have done in the middle of this episode, but it's not what he does. He was the king. He was accustomed to getting whatever he wanted in life. And in this moment, David wanted Bathsheba. And so he sent for Bathsheba. And she comes to the palace, and their affair begins. Some time passes, and Bathsheba informs David that she's pregnant with his child. Have you ever noticed, again, have you ever noticed that one bad decision one bad choice, one sinful act usually leads to another one. Like there's this snowball effect in our lives. Like when we take this, this path, we, take, we, we choose these things. Have you ever seen someone who makes one bad decision and then they allow that one bad decision or one sinful act to snowball into the next one, into the next one, into the next one, until it's out of control, right? And if they could go back to that very first moment when they're standing there and it's like, okay, I can make a choice here. What's the wise choice? What would God have me do? Where do I need to go? I need to zig and you zagged, right? That's, that's what happened with David. He realizes that he's got a big problem on his hands. And so he begins this conspiracy of a cover-up. He sends word to the army commander that he wants to see Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And so David has a plan to bring Uriah home so that he will go and be with his wife and that in their pregnancy, their affair will be covered up. But look at what happens in verse 9. It says this, But Uriah, he did not go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. David, David wants to bring Uriah home. He was thinking, hey, I'm going to bring him home. He's on the battlefield. Go home, spend the night with your wife. You, know, you guys enjoy that, that night together. Everything will be great. We'll cover this whole thing up, and we'll move on with life. But that's not what happens. Look at verse 10. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summons him and he asks him, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? 
And in verse 11, 11 you'll see, you'll start to see a glimpse of, of Uriah's character. Uriah's personality, his person, his character is in this moment far greater than David's. Because look at what he says. He says, the ark and the armies of the Isra- of Israelite and of Judah are living in tents. And Joab, my master's men, are camping in the open field. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. So Uriah's not playing along with David's devious plan. He's not falling into this plan that David has of of cover-up. And so David has to set plan B into motion. And plan B is that he'll get Uriah drunk. He spends, uh, Uriah spends another night in the palace. He sends him, he says, I want you to go home tonight to be with, be with Bathsheba, except Uriah doesn't fall for that either. Again, the Bible says in the story that he places, that he sleeps at the palace entrance, refusing to go home to be more comfortable than the rest of his men on the battlefield. I love this quote from Mark Rutland. He said this uh, in his uh, book, David the Great. He said, in this moment, a drunk Uriah showed more integrity and character than a sober David. Now, that's a sobering thought, right? Uriah, even in his drunkenness, is making better decisions right now than David is making. And so David's got this problem that's growing. His plan hasn't worked, and it didn't work because Uriah was such a decent guy. Uriah's moral compass was an inconvenience to David, and it ultimately led to Uriah's death. Look at verse 14. So the next morning... David wrote a letter to Joab, and he gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. I've I've often thought when I read this story about Uriah carrying this message back to Joab, the commander. And in in Uriah's hands, as he carries this message back, is his death sentence. But David trusted Uriah's character so much that he wouldn't open up that message and read it because it wasn't for him, it was for the commander, that he gave it to Uriah. And I've thought, you know, I've thought about this a lot. Like, Uriah, you're, you're in your hands, and he doesn't obviously know this. He's kind of still hung over from the night before, right? But he's got this thing in his hands. Like, he's going to hand this to Joab the commander. And I would, I would love to, like, have, have seen that scene where Joab opens this up this message from King David, and he's standing here reading this, and Uriah's standing there in front of him, and he's reading it to himself, and he's like, yeah, this says that you want me to make sure that Uriah doesn't make it home, that he dies on the battlefield. And Joab rolls it up, and he does exactly what the king wants him to do, because the king always gets what the king wants. You don't say no to the king. Bathsheba couldn't say no to the king. Joab wouldn't say no to the king. And so you have this scenario here where Uriah is about to die, and it's because of David. Look at verse 26. In fact, unfortunately, Uriah's, uh, for Uriah, David's plan works. Uriah's killed in the battle, and here's how this part of the story ends. When Uriah's wife heard, verse 26 says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When that period of mourning was over, David sent for her, brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. And look at this last sentence. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. You think, right? The Lord was displeased with what David had done. This all starts with an innocent walk on his rooftop. This all starts with a glance in the wrong direction. This all starts with a guy who's just wanting some peace and quiet and, and wanting to be alone. And he's up there on the, on the top of his roof and he looks over and he sees Bathsheba. It all started there. And in that moment, right, he had that decision to make. He could have ended it right there. He could have walked away. But he didn't. He, he didn't have to sin for her. But he did. Yet he still didn't have to to sleep with her, but he did. He he didn't have to conspire to frame Uriah for the pregnancy, but he did. He could have confessed his sins. He could have faced the consequences. He could have spared Uriah's life. He could have done all those things, but he didn't. He chose something else. Sin has a way of leading us down a path 
filled with bad decisions, doesn't it? Our sin will lead us down a path of bad decisions. You know this. You've seen this in your life, and you've seen this in other people's life. And we can see it clearly in David's life this morning. That his sin led him down a path to make some really bad choices. And so this morning, I want to share with you some truths about sin for us. What we can learn from this story, from David's life, and maybe how it can help us in our situations. The first one is this. The first truth about sin is this. Sin is contagious. David's web of sin caught Bathsheba up in it, didn't it? His actions caused another person to stumble and to fall. Sin seems to love company, like misery loves company. Have you ever noticed when someone's involved in something like that's sinful, that's the bad choices they're making, that they want other people to kind of come along? This happens usually, like, you know, peer pressure with kids and stuff. You've probably had, you know, you've seen your kids, your grandkids. This is situations you've been in before where there's this thing going on. There's this party. There's a situation. There's this whatever. And people are making poor choices and bad decisions. And they want other people to come along with them and do these things, right? And that's kind of what's happening with David. It's like he draws Bathsheba into this, right? And then she's, she's there too. And so there's this sin. His sin leads to her sin. And there's just this big ball of sin. And it's this contagious thing. We may like to think that our sin is hidden, that it doesn't affect, infect or affect others, but it always does. Our sins always affect other people and infect other people. You, you may not see it in the moment. You, you may never see it in your generation. It may be generation after generation after generation passed on down the line, but sin left unke- un, unforgiven and unrepentant will, will cause massive damage in our lives and our families. It's a contagious thing. The second one is this. Sin has consequences. David's sin broke his close relationship with the Lord. Look at the words in, uh, he wrote in Psalm 13. He said this. Oh Lord, you can see you can see in this, just David's brokenness and his broken heart. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with, my sor- with sorrow in my hearts every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? David is feeling this disconnect from God. Sin sends us into a cycle of, of guilt and shame. It causes us to hide from God and to disconnect from him. It has severe consequences. You, you, you know this. When, when, you're, when you're in the middle of something, like you don't want to think about God. You don't want to think about like righteous things or holy things because in the middle of that, you're like, I feel guilty and I feel shameful and I'm ashamed and I want to go hide, right? It all, that, that, that character trait started with Adam and Eve in the very beginning, right? You remember when they went and hid in the garden when they realized, when their eyes were open, they realized that, that they'd sinned against God and God's just like, where are you, Adam and Eve? And they're like, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because we've sinned. What do you, what do you know about that, Right? And it's this revelation that because we've sinned, we can't stand in the presence of a holy God. So it has these consequences. Sin deserves death because it causes death. Sin is always killing someone. The wages of sin are psychological and social and spiritual death. Think about it. When we lie, it causes a distance in our relationships. When we steal, it causes a void in our lives with others. When we cheat, it causes relationships to collapse and it destroys peace. So sin is contagious. Sin has consequences. And number three, sin is a spiritual disease. At the center of David's sin was a heart full of self-righteousness and pride. David thought that he could cover up this sin. He thought that because he was king, he was the most powerful man in the kingdom. That he could do whatever he wanted to do with whoever he wanted to do it with. And he could just cover it up. He'd figure a way out of it. And he had this spiritual disease. The problem with our sin is that it can be tricky. It convinces us that it's not that big of a deal or that it doesn't exist or that we can fix it. In the middle of it, it's just breaking us. And we keep choosing it with our eyes closed. Have you ever seen someone just continue to choose sin, make poor choices over and over and over again, and it's killing them? It's killing them maybe physically. It's definitely killing them spiritually. And you're there. Maybe it's someone you desperately love, your friend, a child, a grandchild, you know, someone that you look at and go, 
Why do you keep making these choices over and over and over again? Sin is a spiritual disease. Listen to David's words in Psalm 51, verses 7 through 11. Here's what he says. After he realized what he's done, he's coming before the Lord. He's asking for forgiveness. He's repenting of these sins. And here's what he does. He says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stains of my guilt, David wrote. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Here you can see a David in the middle of, of his situation going, God, I recognize what I've done. I recognize that, that I am messed up. I am broken and I have sinned against you. Would you forgive me? Would you wipe this away from me? Would you look upon me again? Can we reconnect? Can we walk with each other again? Because I am broken and I'm hurt and I'm alone and I'm lonely. The fourth thing that sin, truth about sin is this. Sin is terminal. The consequences of David's sin caused death. The death of his firstborn son with Bathsheba. And unrepentant sin causes a cover-up of more sin and more death. In J.S. Park's book, the, King of, the Life of King David, he said this, In the end, sin kills the sinner too. It's an isolating self-absorption that deteriorates a human soul. And if he or she chooses, it will extend such breakdown into eternity. Unless we kill sin, it will kill us. Romans 6 says this, For the wages of sin is death, right? For the wages of sin is death. And so we hear this, we see this story, we look at the life of David, maybe we think about our lives, and we go, wow, that's a lot of, that's a lot of bad news this morning, Jason. That's a, that's a lot of, that's an indictment on David, on us, on life, on the condition that we find ourselves in, and it is. For the wages of our sin is death because of your sin because of my sin because of David's sin and Bathsheba's sin because of our sin the wages of that is death but there's some good news I want you to look at this bottom line I love this here's the good news God is too holy to let us get away with sin but he loves us too much to let us pay for it, right? God is too holy to let us get away with sin. Our God is a holy God. He will not be in the presence of sin. And so when David felt this disconnect from God, there was a disconnect. David looked at his life. What did it say at the end of the story? God looked at David and he was displeased. He was not happy with David. He was ticked off because of David's sin. And David feels this disconnection with him. And, and there, there's this understanding that God is a holy God. And he is going to choose not to be in the presence of sin. He's too holy to let us get away with sin. But he loves us too much to let us pay for it. What does the rest of Romans 6.23 say? For the wages of sin is death. But, right? And this is, the, this is a huge word. Circle this. Underline this. Remember this. But, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it, right? The wages of sin is death. But the way out of all of this is Jesus and an eternal life through him and through him alone. Jesus said this in John chapter 11. He he said this. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then he looked at Martha and he said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? That if you believe in me and you live it, walk with me and live in my ways, that you will never, ever die. And so we come to this part of the story in David's life where he realizes that he's messed up, that he's made some very bad choices and that his choices will eventually lead to death. His son... The the son that he and Bathsheba had, the firstborn son they had, will die as a consequence of this whole episode. David will go on to do some good things with the rest of his life, but he'll always hearken back to that moment on that rooftop when he had a choice to make. 
And he could have turned. He could have fleed. He could have walked away from that sin and that temptation. But he didn't. And so for us, the next time you're standing there, you're in that moment, you can say this or you can say this. You can do this or you can just walk away. You can keep your mouth shut and go on with your life or you can just blow it all up in the moment. Or you can say something that's life-giving and redeeming and powerful and that points people back to the Lord. You see, we always have a choice that we can make, don't we? We always have a choice. David had a choice and we have choices. David's choices led to death. Our choices, they lead to death as well. Our death. The wages of sin is death. But there's good news. But there's a gift that only God can give. And it's through his son, Jesus. And if we accept that, and if we understand what that is, it changes our eternity. That's the good news in the middle of this horrible story. Let me encourage you guys today as you leave this place to take that message with you. Not necessarily the message of David and Bathsheba, but the message of in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our mess, God will redeem us. Not because of us, but because of what he's done through Jesus. God will give us an escape hatch. He'll give us a plan out. He'll give us a way out of all this. And his name is Jesus. Maybe you need to be reminded of that this morning. Maybe there's somebody in your life this week that needs to be reminded of that as well. Would you guys stand with me? Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to gather in this place as a family, to sing these worship songs, to to share in communion together, to, to be reminded of how much you love us what you've done for us through your son, Jesus. And God, I pray that that we would evaluate our lives in the next few moments. Maybe the the next couple of moments, the invitation is is for every person in this room to to look inward, to look at our hearts, to look at our minds, to look at our thought life, to look at the things that we look at, the things that we think, the places we go, the conversations that we have. And God, we would just ask you to search us, search us and point out point out the sin that we may not even recognize, that we may have gotten so accustomed to, that we're just numb to it now. God, would you point those things out to us so that then we can ask for forgiveness for them. We could be made new and be renewed, have this clean spirit to walk with you this week. God, our prayer also this morning is if there's a person here today that needs to accept you for the first time, to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God, that they would do that. They would make that decision here in the next few moments as we sing this song, as we pray. God, we love you. We thank you for today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing.
thought he thought he got away with it right he thought okay we've we've skirted disaster no one will ever know your eye is gone but God knew 
And God wanted David to know that he knew. And so next week, Dave's going to share with us the story of David and Nathan, how God sends a prophet and says, Hey, David, got to talk to you. We need to talk. God knows, and he didn't forget, and we need to deal with your sin. And so for us, what is it that maybe God needs to deal with you this week? Maybe there's something that you and God are going to wrestle with this week. Because God's like, we need to deal with this. This can't go unresolved. You, you need to realize that true forgiveness and repentance is there, but it's your move, right? David and Bathsheba would go on to have another son, Solomon, who would do great things. One of the wisest men who ever lived, right? And so there was this, there's this thing that happens in their lives that's redeemed, but it only happened after David realized that he needed to come clean before the Lord and be pure and holy. That's the message today. Hey, guys, thanks for being here. If you're a first-time visitor, we love to connect with you at the I'm New Wall. Go out there uh, before you leave today. Those guys have a gift for you. Also, there's a table in the back. They're signing up for a uh, uh, date night. Our marriage team has put together a date night on July 24th. So go back there. Uh, there's information about that. Uh, Saturday, July 24th, a uh, date night with our marriage team. You guys have a great week. Enjoy this 4th of July. Be careful with those fireworks. Come back next week with all your 10 fingers. All right, good luck. We'll see you. God bless.